Although the number of women entering medicine continues to increase, women are still vastly underrepresented in leadership positions at medical schools and hospitals. For female trainees, experiences with gender bias can begin early, and they may have long-term implications for the women themselves and for the medical field as a whole. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Lauren Rabinowitz, a resident physician at New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. Dr. Rabinowitz has written a perspective article about addressing gender bias in medicine. Dr. Rabinowitz, in your article, you tell the story of being passed over by a patient's wife in favor of your more junior male colleague, whom she took to be the doctor. How often do you and your female colleagues face that kind of situation when you're mistaken for a more junior physician or for a nurse, for example? I think it's a pretty common occurrence in any hospital situation and would be quick to add that it's very frequently anything but a doctor. So, for example, being confused for a dietitian or even for a high school volunteer. I think it's a pretty ubiquitous experience for most women who are starting out in medical school or early training. And then who has the responsibility to call out those misconceptions? Does it usually fall on the female physicians and the trainees to clarify their roles? Well, one of the things I feel so strongly about in now having taken on a role as an educator is encouraging my interns and my colleagues and my medical students who are female to make sure that they introduce themselves by their role, whether that be a student or a physician. I think it can feel a little bit more uncomfortable to correct a misperception, for example, when a patient assumes that you're not the doctor. And I think in those circumstances, it certainly behooves the female physician to gently correct or gently remind any patient or actually anyone in the hospital what their role is. I think roles are incredibly important in a hospital setting, especially in an emergency situation. For example, I think many of us have had the experience of being in the middle of a code situation where everyone in a room will look up at the tallest male in the room and say, Doc, what do we do? And sometimes that person is, in fact, the person who has the answers, but oftentimes it's someone else. And so being very clear about your job and about what you're able to offer in terms of taking care of patients and also interacting with colleagues is incredibly important. And I think it falls on both a female physician, but also on our male colleagues, too. In another perspective article, Rotenstein and Jenna write that negative gender-based experiences, such as those, begin early in training. Did you experience or see discrimination or bias in medical school? How far back do you think the problem starts? I think my answer to that is perhaps a generational one. I was very lucky to grow up in a family where both of my parents are physicians. My father is a cardiologist, my mother is a psychiatrist, and in my mom's medical school class in 1972, there are only three women. And now we actually make up a majority of the students matriculating into medical school. That's a huge shift. And I think that the message for the three of us, I'm one of three girls, all three of us in medicine, was certainly to grow up to be any kind of doctor you want (laughs) or any kind of professional you want or anything you want. And that's certainly something that I experienced growing up. And I never felt like I was limited in any way in terms of what I was able to offer the world just because I was a girl. It's also clear that women are much less likely than men to be full professors or department chairs. How does that lack of representation affect young women in medicine? Where do you look for a role model and Who do you go to for advice about your career? I think that's a paradigm that is certainly shifting. And I think organizations such as the AAMC have generated educational materials in order to try to promote more diversity in the upper echelons of academic medicine. 
again, I was lucky enough to have a phenomenal female role model of a doctor and a scientist and a woman in academic medicine built into my own family. But for many female physicians, that's not necessarily the case. One of the things I like to tell my medical students is from the moment you graduate and you become an MD, and actually even beforehand, there's always someone looking up to you. Whether that be a preclinical student or a high school student who's thinking about entering medicine, whether that be as a senior resident having an intern who may be looking up to you, and you always have an opportunity to reach out to those people to talk about and share your experiences, which I think are quite unique to females entering medicine, whether that be in 1972 like my mom or even in 2018 as I have experienced. In a related Medicine and Society article, Shilkut and Silver write that social media can play a role in supporting female medical students and physicians. Has that been the case for you and your peers? Is connecting with other women on those kinds of platforms useful? I think social media is a wonderful tool to connect people with one another, whether that be women in medicine, there's a hashtag women in medicine, there are many prominent female physicians and scientists who are very active on platforms such as Twitter. These are places where it may be more possible for younger female physicians to reach out and to see examples of women who are really doing extraordinary things in science and extraordinary things in their field. I think there is nothing that can substitute human interaction, however. In my own experience, groups that support female trainees, groups that support females going through medical school are incredibly important and can often offer mentorship and inspiration to younger women going through medical training. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit on a panel for women in medicine at my medical school. I actually went to Columbia and then decided to stay here for residency, in large part because I have had phenomenal female and male mentorship throughout my own training. And I was really proud that having sat in this room with five other residents in different stages of training and in different fields from neurosurgery to internal medicine to OBGYN, of the several hundred women who came, there were also many male students who used their voices, who asked questions about what it was like to go through medical training when you're female. And I think that's so important, creating allies and recognizing that this is not just a woman problem, this is a bias problem. And as I write about in the piece, it's also something that I think touches everyone in the hospital, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're tall or short, no matter the color of your skin, people make assumptions. We all do it. And it's in fact what makes us wonderful diagnosticians because we see patterns and we connect that pattern to a diagnosis. But we just have to be conscious that those biases that we walk into a patient room with may actually also be impacting our colleagues. As you said earlier, more than half of U.S. medical school students now are women. How do you think that shift is going to affect the perceptions of patients, of patients' families, of hospital staff about women in medicine in the future? I think it already has. I think if you ask the average American citizen in 1950 what a doctor looks like, they would probably describe a white male, perhaps with gray or white hair. Now we can use our iPhones to send doctor emojis and various gender girls and various skin tones. And I think that's so fantastic. I think the idea that the most important thing you bring into a patient's room is your heart, your compassion, and your medical knowledge and your willingness to help that human being becomes paramount. And it allows us to sort of shift the paradigm from the 1950 model of what a doctor is to the 2018 model. Finally, what advice would you give other young women in medicine? How can they make their role in patient care clear? And what's the best way to correct a misperception? 
I'm not sure I have the answer to that. As I write about in the piece, I myself had a really hard time, especially because many of our patients or our patients' families are not having their best day whenever we interact with them. They're admitted to a hospital, their loved one is admitted to a hospital, and it can be very uncomfortable to have those sort of conversations in the context of someone who may be undergoing tremendous stress themselves. But that having been said, I think there is a way to address your own role on the team with kindness and with compassion. And I think that, again, it's incumbent on all of us to correct those errors, not just a female colleague, but perhaps a male colleague who might be able to step in and say, this is Dr. Rabinowitz, or, for example, having the opportunity to correct another misperception by a patient or a patient's family that you may have a different role that is not what you actually do for the patient. Ultimately, when people understand what it is that you do and how you can help, it's better for patients, it's better for patient care, and that's really why we're all here. Thank you, Dr. Rabinowitz.